something huge. We are at a crossroads and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. All right, uh, live from Inbound, I'm here with Kevin Ayers. Uh, just got off the stage uh, for your executive track talk. Kevin, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, welcome to be here. It's great. Um, so for the people that might not be familiar with you and what you're up to, you're a hyper growth expert, executive coach. You talk a lot about leadership. Um, give us some background on you know who you are and what you're up to. Yeah, so I was managing director for LinkedIn 2007 to 2011. So it was really during the truly startup phase. Yeah. And I've done that at a few other companies before, AltaVista, Sidestep, which is now Kayak. And so that's where the hyper growth comes from. Hyper growth just so those who don't know, it's 100% year-on-year growth. And so now, that was all in London. And so now I'm living in Silicon Valley, and I'm executive coach, primarily the CEOs of high-growth companies themselves. So uh, what, what's kind of the process? So somebody wants to hire you. Like, what, what's the stage? So we, the audience for this podcast is a lot of executives, a lot of people in leadership roles. Um, we've talked to people that do this type of job, but a lot of people are like, hey, what, what's the right time to think about getting an executive coach? Like, what types of things do you help? Um, help these leaders do? So I help the leaders. Primarily, I deal with some startups, but primarily they're kind of at a series A, series B, yep. where they're expanding quite rapidly. You know, so they've already got product market fit. They've got a good team in there. Yeah. And a lot of times they're expanding internationally. And, you know, that's where that real acceleration, 100% year-on-year growth comes in. Right. And I'm sure it helps. That, that's something like, you know, moving into a new market overseas is something where it helps to have experience in that area. You have your everything established here in the U.S. and then really want to, you know, put your foot on the gas overseas. And Absolutely. And things fundamentally change when you start opening offices around the world. And, you know, nobody's... It used to be we could all huddle in one little room and we could all sit down and talk. And then all of a sudden it's, wow, we've got three offices in the U.S., we've got an office in London, we've got an office in Singapore. And so how do you think about your culture? Right. So I tend to get involved a lot then and a little bit earlier as and, well. And this is what's been interesting for me to realize, like as you know, we start to expand here at HubSpot and just you know, following other companies, it's not like you just take your product, you sell software product, and you translate it to that language, and then you're ready to go, and you just go sell. There's so much more that goes into that. Yeah, there's a lot more. I mean, certainly, you know, kind of table stakes is having the right language, um, but then it's, you know, the, depending on the type of product that you have, the markets can be fundamentally different. You right. may have to change your product quite a bit, um, you know, but not even just with that. It's even the way your company operates. You know, think about multiple currencies. You know, there's the operational component. There's the leadership component. There's so many nuances, too, I'm sure. And Completely, yeah. Um, so before we, I want to talk about your session that you did at Inbound. But okay. this is one of the questions that I ask a lot of execs that come on this podcast, and specifically you focus on growth. What, what's the number one thing that you see companies get wrong when it comes to growth? Or what's the biggest misconception about growth? Like, there's a few things. I mean, one is, you know, people are just so focused on we got to grow, 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 grow. And they focus on the products and some of the metrics. And they forget about the people and the culture that happens. You know, so one thing in hyper growth is you're growing at 100% year on year. You're doubling your team. What happens to the culture when all of a sudden after a year, more than half of the people are brand new? Right. You know, so that's one big, that's one big component that they miss. Another is, is they don't... Um, you know, they're not embracing what are, the, what are the fundamental changes that need to happen within the product 
because as we said before, you know, it's not just a matter of translate and ta-da, we're all ready to go. Yeah. So it's understanding the mechanics of the, of the different markets that Let, you're entering as let's well. Let's dive into the people one for a minute because this yeah. is interesting and something that comes up a lot. And you know, there, there's kind of like the, 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 the model is that things change every time your company triples, right? You have mm -hmm. three people, you're all working in the same room, things are pretty, pretty easy to control. All of a sudden there's nine people and you keep going, you just keep scaling that way. Um, how, how do you... How do you keep your finger on the pulse of that if you're, if you're the executive of that company and how do you make sure that, yeah, we're growing really fast, but how do you make sure people are scaling the same way that your product is? I think you, you need to have a lot of time with the people. You need to invest a lot of time in your leaders to ensure that people are on the same page. Right. So that the culture of the company, the values that you have, you're not just, and by the way, I'm not a fan of putting them on the wall. I'm a fan of you live them and you reward the people that are that are adhering to those. And we used to do this thing where it's the shout out. So we'd have a weekly meeting all the time yeah. and then other people would shout out and recognize the people that were aligned to the culture. And so, because if it's just one person as the leader trying to do that, that's not really gonna scale. You need to have that just part of the DNA. And, and that's probably something that even comes into the interview process. Like I'm sure, especially, you're, you're in Silicon Valley dealing with companies Series A, Series B. The challenge isn't finding talented people. You can find a great, there's a million good marketers applying to your, your company. There's probably a million great engineers, but it's finding the ones that are actually a good fit for absolutely. your company. Yeah, absolutely. And the cultural component, the, the interviewing process is a big piece. And one of the things that we did is we had an interviewing team. And that was, you aspired to be on the team that would interview others because you were an example of what good gotcha. looks I, like. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people will do... Um, you know, they'll have the people that are actually on the team and come in and so, so I'm a marketer, right? You'd have people that I'd work with come in and drill me on the actual marketing stuff to say, okay, does this guy know what he's talking about? But then actually bringing other people outside to, to kind of come in and do a checkbox for culture. So, you know, even if you are the VP of sales, you might interview me because you want to see like you're the culture guy, you know if it's going to be a good fit. Yeah, and it's the people that you're going to be not just working alongside within the team, but others around you because you want to have that multidisciplinary the right. other thing, just yeah, one yeah, more yeah, point yeah. on the whole hiring process yeah. of, that, that I've seen work extremely well is the hiring team's job is not over when the person gets hired. They actually track them for the next three months, and they're responsible for making the call. Do they make it or do they not? Gotcha. They don't communicate it. The manager will do that. But by closing that loop, they have, they have more accountability for the individual that's in the hiring process and there's a feedback loop so they can learn. So, so does that process, so if I'm a new employee, do I come in and I get a maybe, here's your 100 day plan or here's your 30, 60, 90 day plan and here's kind of the check boxes along the way so then you can have those check-ins and say, all right, I've been here for 60 days now. Yeah, you always have that and you always wanna have those check-ins, set expectations really clearly up front and don't wait till the end of 90 days to say you're not more on track it's day one, day two, day three, anytime, and it's small pieces. You know, you don't want to wait until something is really big. You want to wait, actually, no time at all. And when it's small, just course correct. And it's not just, here's what you need to change, but well done. This is right. a great job for well, doing I mean, this. it's just like, you know, it's just like a human behavior, right? If you get away with something for six weeks, then all of a sudden someone's going to tell you, no, it's a harder habit to break than Absolutely. right away. Yeah. All right, let's, let's dive into your, to your session. I thought this was an interesting topic. Um, so your topic was conscious leadership as fuel for innovation. Um, conscious leadership is actually a topic that's come up a bunch of times. Okay. Um, talk about what it means to you and why that, why that was your topic that you wanted to bring here to Inbound. 
Yeah, to me, I mean, this was, this was an edgy topic. You know, this, this was a big step for me to be able to talk about something more on the softer side. Yeah. But what I found is that, you know, if you really want transformational results, then you need a new form of leadership that embraces, you know, the head and the heart, the operator and the person that's open to doubt and it makes it safe in order to talk about. Because that's where you can really start to drive results and accountability. And if, you, if people can be safe, then innovation and new ideas can really flow. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously we're, we're here for a HubSpot event. And I think one of the things that they really got right, and we feel that, we live that today as a marketing team, is like, if you're not failing and not doing things, like you're given that freedom, like, don't just come back to me with one thing and say it worked or didn't. I want you to not take the safe thing, but I want you to do 10 things, realizing that nine of them are going to fail. Yeah. Um, but where, where did this whole idea come up? Like, are, were there companies that, you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago were just running and there was, doubt wasn't something that you talked about, you just, you were confident and you did it and that's it? Like, how did this whole thing come up? Well, for me, I mean, I think it's always been part of, even through schooling for me, because there was a lot of doubt within myself, being dyslexic and being in special ed and things like that. There was, there was always this doubt. But then I had some great leaders, you know, one of which was my high school track coach, that, that really opened up this piece of, you can doubt and you can succeed. In fact, that's one of the ways in order to do it. And it really started to come together, kind of the later days of LinkedIn, 2010, 2011, when we just had massive, massive ambitions. And you could see everybody was doubting. And so I would, what I did is I looked at, well, there's the tactical doubt of, can I hire 100 people? Can I double the size of the team? Versus the question of, can I do this? Am I the right one? And you fundamentally had to have different approaches to those. And that's when things really started to crystallize right. for me. Is that, is that hard, though, as a, as a leader being in an executive role? Like, because, you know, say, say I'm working for you. I want to look up to you like you are the rock of this team. Like, mm -hmm. I want to know, like, you're going to lead me in the right direction. And then you're kind of out there saying, like, we don't have all the answers. We're gonna not. We're not sure this is gonna work. Yeah, and I think if you can be honest about those things, then now you need to share it selectively and share it to where the point that people can get benefit from it. But I remember in 2011 we had our big kickoff at LinkedIn, and we were unveiling some really, really, really big numbers. The IPO was around the corner, and I remember vividly telling people. I know we can get there, but I don't know exactly how it's going to happen. But the way it will happen is that we're gonna to work together, we're gonna to embrace this doubt. And the key is, is you have to believe, and then you can start to understand the path in order to get there. So this is kind of your whole point where you, you actually see doubt as a leadership opportunity and you embrace it and say like, we're gonna wrangle this. Not exactly sure where we're going, but we're, that's it's the right path forward. Right. And I think when you, can, when you can speak about that openly and clearly, and then also say, not just pause in this, and say, well, let's just explore that. I have no idea how we're going to do this, and let's just go ahead and start crying right. together. Right. It's like, I don't know, but you know what? This is the path that we're going to take going forward. And the important thing is not to, not to stay in this pause that doubt gives you, but to really use that where you can revisit and then refine, and what I call it, just recommit to the vision that you have and then start start approaching it step by step. And this actually fits. So one of the things that's starting to bubble up, um, I see it at a lot of companies now, is transparency. Right? Um, mm -hmm. Leaders are much more transparent about everything, from you know the health of the business to future plans, and that that probably lines up really well with embracing doubt because they're laying out plans of 
hey, here's what's actually happening in the business. We don't know where this is going to lead. So transparency and doubt seem to be, you know, two trends that actually work well for leaders today. They do. They do. And I think the thing is, is especially as a leader, if you can help somebody see beyond their self-doubt to a potential that they hadn't recognized before, then the results really start to happen because right. they hold themselves more accountable because now they can see a potential they never realized. And then they also want you to hold them accountable because you've helped them see a potential that say, wow, help me get there. Right. And I think that's where it really becomes extremely powerful because it, it drives results and it drives accountability. I want to try to pick your brain on some of uh, growth at LinkedIn topics. Any, anything else from, from, your, from your talk that we should, we should hit on? I mean, um, what, what would you say the, the big takeaway for people listening that are trying to embrace, embrace this a little bit? I would say that self-doubt is absolutely universal. So stop trying to fight it and get it away. Because you look around the room, everyone's dealing with the same thing. Everyone's dealing with the same way. I mean, Brene Brown did a great job yeah. of bringing this into the public eye. And this morning in her, you know, in her keynote, really drove that home. You know, it is something that's universal. And what I see it as is it's a sign of your own growth. Because when you step into the unknown of innovation or some kind of a growth, then you have this reaction. You know, and that reaction, you can look at that as, oh, it's a doubt, you know, who am I to do this? Yeah. Can I actually do this? Or you can reframe that and say, this is an opportunity and this is a sign that I am growing, the fact that I'm having this doubt. And so by changing that perspective from doubt being an enemy or a weakness to an opportunity, then you can look at the doubt and say, what's real in this? And maybe there's some things that wow, I haven't really visited that marketing plan enough. Let me look at that. And you can get that tactical doubt. But then the self-doubt, you, you need to deal with that in, in a different way yeah. and not let that just give you that pause. When you almost build a culture of, yes, this is our marketing plan, but everybody should feel like they should question it. And then that's where you get in all the experiments and people you know, trying to come up with other ideas. Right. And Brene is a great example of that. Like she gave a talk on stage in front of 13,000 people about like an uncomfortable topic like that you know she she talked about her self-consciousness like you know or how she feels about the way she she looked in a bathing suit for example like mm -hmm. in front of 13,000 people but she owned that story and embraced it and I think every, the result of that was everybody in the room said damn you know what like, I, I feel that way too like this exactly. is a human thing yeah and I think one of the big things is as a leader even as an individual when you start to talk about those more vulnerable pieces then it's out and it's no longer holding something aside it's holding something in but you can actually express that and it really what i found is that you know the tension around it starts to fade away well, it makes you as a leader more relatable you're not just some like you know person up there just spewing you know very like we can do this yeah, yeah. you're just not rah rah all the time it's like i don't know where right. we're gonna go right um all right, so LinkedIn is a company I want to ask you because you were part of growing that business. It's a company that everybody's heard of. Um, you were there 2010, 2011. What, what? 2007 to 2011. Okay, so yeah. even longer. So, so you were there for four years. So 2007 even, rewind back, right? Yeah. What were the biggest things that changed from 2007 to, to 2011? And, you know, a lot of times we ask this question to people and it's like, why? You know, your, your business was so successful, you grew so much. And the answer that we always get is like, we had a great team and we had great people, you know, and, and a great product. And I was like, there's, there's got to be more than that. Yeah, there were, we had that. Um, but there was also, like, there was this, we solved a fundamental problem that people had. And that was, you know, how did they, how did they connect? 
how did they continue to have some kind of a persistent relationship when it may have been a couple of years ago, and then it was also about how people exchanged ideas and information. And remember, this was 2007 was the early days of Web 2.0. Oh yeah, and yeah. MySpace was still a real thing. I was and <laughs> MySpace was MySpace was actually a company that had some muscle. Yeah. And Facebook was something really small. And I remember, you know, I had a I had an interview with the FT, and I had looked up the journalist because she wasn't on LinkedIn, but I looked her up on Facebook, and she had been talking about all the problems she'd had with her husband. Wow. And so I asked her about that, and she almost stopped the interview. That's because like, she's like, how, you know, why are you bringing this up? And it was like, well, let's talk about privacy, and let's talk about the difference between social right. and the difference between professional. So our big hurdle at the very beginning was purely education, because there was MySpace, Facebook had just kind of opened up, and then there was, what is this called, LinkedIn? Right. Oh, yeah, it's, what is that? And so we had to educate people, and it was, and that was a big part of what we did. And, and I think what helped us so much is because we were very true to what the belief was, is how do we help professionals become more productive and successful? Yeah. That well, was a key. That, that's a great, a great point about the whole social, like you're building a brand, now it seems easy, like, oh, it's a social network, right? But. You know, Back now then, I can nobody find knew out what a social if, network. If you was. tweeted from the airport last night that you had an egg sandwich, like I could know that and ask you about it, you wouldn't be offended. But this is a time where you're creating a new category. One of the interesting growth challenges that I think about for a company like LinkedIn is, um, like a lot of, um, it's almost like a marketplace product where you need people on the platform for it to be valuable. And I just think back to like how you know it's valuable to me now because you know you have 500 plus connections, you can look. Well, how, how did you guys? break through that in the early days when I might sign up, but I might only know three or four people on the platform. Like, how do you do that? Yeah, it was hard. It was hard. In fact, our first million users came after a hundred and, or sorry, 477 days. I think I may have that fact correct from the, from the old but, days. But regardless, I mean, your, your, your point is that like growth is initially this kind of slow slog. It's not Absolutely. always you come out of the gate running. And yeah. It was very much, it was belief that here's the vision what what's going to happen and we gave them minimal functionality, which really just have your connections, you're able to see what's happening. You know, there wasn't a lot of communication that was involved in there. There was a Q&A aspect that started giving some people value, but it was more on the promise of, look what the potential is. And you always have this, right? You know, what's this, you know, innovator's law of diffusion? You, know, you have those very, very, very early adopters. Right. And, you know, you get those on board and then people start seeing Oh, with the more people that's on there, you get this network effect. Right. The more people are on, the more value I get. So I want to start connecting with more and more people. So you can start focus on how do you make me the guy who just signed up an advocate? Like, so yeah. I go tell ten of my friends to sign up. Yeah. Um, all right. We'll wrap up with this. What did there was some amazing execs and leaders at LinkedIn at that time. What did you learn from those guys? Wow, there was a lot of things. I mean, with Reed, one of the things I learned from him is what's the true north of the business. And for him, it was the consideration of the member always comes first. And I tell you what, that was really challenging in the early days. There was almost no revenue. It's like, this company just offered to give us a bucket load of money if we do this. And so you have that tension between sales and being true to the product. And with Reed, it was always the consideration of the member comes first. How does this help the member? And that was something I always carry with me. So yes, we could, we could start charging for this or we could build a feature that would allow other businesses to monetize like these contacts, but we want people 
to love this product. Right, and that was and that was really where the membership was always there. Was how do we help them become more productive and successful? You know, with Jeff Weiner when he came in, and it was really how do you drive a business where it was you know very thorough plans, really aggressive targets, and at the same time there was a human element involved with it as well. And so that's one of the things that I learned from him too. Cool. Well, Kevin, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for coming here, Boston. Where can uh, people want to find you online, follow you after this this interview? Where can they find you? Well, they can find me on LinkedIn. There you go. <laughs> that's a good plug. Right? That's an obvious place. People always ask me for my card, and it's like you can always find me on LinkedIn. Happen to be all week. I don't have carry business cards anymore. I like I LinkedIn is either. much better. It's, yeah, it's LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter at Kevin Ayers, um, and I have a website is um, Ayers.com. Cool. Awesome, man. Thank you. Hey, Appreciate thank you it. too.